Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you want to know in sports that took place. <laughs> I'm back from vacation. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, the world, you get in four minutes. Boy, are we late now. Can we start things off in downtown Phoenix? Suns swept the weekend three games, four days, beat Charlotte, Orlando, and Portland, but KD missed the Portland game with a sore hamstring. Beal at 21. Suns won the second quarter, 35-18. Frank Vogel, how'd they do it? Uh, credit those guys uh, for staying ready, and, uh, you know, we had some games throughout the course of this year where, you know, our bench got outplayed by the other team's bench. Our bench tonight gets the game ball. Even though the Portland bench outscored the Suns, now real tough test. Three tough teams start things off with the LA Clippers at home tomorrow night. Well, their fourth game of the year beat Philly 35-31. Kyler did throw a pick six, but otherwise very strong. He went 25-31, 232 yards, three touchdowns. Kyler, how'd you feel? It was good. It's good to feel that, you know, obviously with everything that's happened, a lot of disappointment this year, uh, a lot of tough losses, um, but, you know, trying to finish the season off the right way. James Conner had a touchdown rushing and receiving, plus 128 yards on the ground. JG, what'd you think of the offense as a whole? Uh, Kyler was lights out today. James Conner was lights out. The O-line, I don't know. That's a really good front. We ran it, you know, up and down the field. Um, just really hats off to the players, the resilience, the week of practice that we had here on it today. At the beginning of the year, Vegas set the line at four and a half wins. They're at four. They try to take the over coming up Sunday, home against Seattle, 225. Fresh off the 4-0 comeback against Colorado, Coyotes did damage to Anaheim. They won two to nothing. Ingram made 28 saves in his fourth shutout of the year. Krause and Keller had the goals. Coyotes are now one point behind Nashville for the number one wild card spot, but they're only in the playoffs by one point ahead of Seattle, who won in the Winter Classic. Yotes take second, take on second place Florida coming up tonight at home, face off seven o'clock. Great weekend for the Devils. They swept the weekend with massive comebacks. Down 11 with 11 minutes left. They beat Stanford 76-73. Then they beat Cal down 16 at one point. Down 15 with 9.30 left. They come back and win 71-69. Frankie Collins at 25 points and six deals. They take on the Utah Utes coming up Thursday night at home. Not good, dropped out of the top 10. They played so bad, spit the NorCal trip. Beat Cal 181, but let Stanford shoot 64% from three, and they lost 182 yesterday. They're home against Colorado Thursday night. It's Michigan and UW in Houston. Wow, Michigan. McCarthy went 27 or 17 to 27, 221 yards, but three touchdowns, no picks, and they beat Alabama in overtime, getting a goal line stop. Jim Harbaugh. Don't use the word glorious. It was an epic game, and uh, glorious is uh, how I feel. That was a uh, tremendous win. He said glorious. UW held on to beat Texas as well. They play now in Houston. And finally, 
meet Australian Nicholas Manning, who has now set the new world record for being able to put on 10 pairs of underwear faster than any human being. One, two, three, four. Come on, babe. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes! Woo! 13.03 seconds to put on 10 pairs of underwear. With the cheering of his girlfriend slash wife slash sister, whoever that was, because he wouldn't have done it if she didn't say, come on, babe. By the way, if you're wondering, because you want to set the new record, he said he trained for six months to prepare for this moment. Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. The Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. I totally realize that this makes me sound even older than I really am. But every now and then, you just got to get a complaint off your chest. And I don't care how much fun that you think they are. If it's not a trained professional on the 4th of July, I don't like fireworks. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplug a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world. Totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and your television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merc. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Happy New Year. How are you? This is a declarative statement. 2024 is the year of you. That's it. 2024 is the year of you. When you get to work this morning, I demand as your commander in chief, not very often do I put demands on you. I demand you walk into work and you tell somebody, preferably your boss, but 
If you're not accustomed to do that, that's fine. I demand you walk into your workplace, your job site, whatever it is you do, and you tell one person, 2024 is the year of me. I don't mean Doug Franz. I mean you. It's 2024 the is the year of me. Yes, it is, Jeff Weir Production. I'm glad you told somebody that. Even though really technically you told no one that because you're sitting in a room by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm addressing everything towards you. Thank you, thank you. See, see how easy that was. <laughs> it is the year of you. What are you going to do with your life? It is the year of 2024 where you make that declarative statement that this is what I do. Doesn't mean you have to make a change if you're already doing it. It just means no more trying to impress somebody else. No more living for somebody else. What is important to you? For me. It is my wife, it is my daughters, it is the family, it is providing and defending, and therefore, that's what's most important to me. What is most important to you, whatever it is, make it the year of you and do exactly what it is that creates the best opportunity. The year of you starts, well, yesterday, but I just want to declare it now because this is the first time you and I have gotten together. Um, uh, The front eight... On Friday. Played golf on Friday with McKenna. The front eight. Uh, shot at 39. By far one of my better rounds in the front eight. Still didn't break 100. Just a total meltdown starting with the ninth hole. What? Oh, my gosh. Five times. Five. I had an eight iron in my hand for eagle. Not too far out. About 130, yes, I know I should be able to hit something better than an 8-iron, but hey, that's my that's my deal. Got a shoulder issue that's bothering me. So I'm hitting an 8-iron, 130, 135 yards out. Five times. Didn't get a par on any of the five. Not even a par, let alone the birdie. Oh, my gosh. Did you come up short on the approach? or uh, Two of them, I decided to let my toe hit the ground first. And then the whole shaft came around, and I hit trees. Oh. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. One of them was a little short, like off the green short, but that wasn't the end of the world. And then one of them, I actually hit it flush, which is the, which is the really stinky thing as a terrible golfer, because if I knew I was going to hit it well, I wouldn't have hit an 8-iron. I would hit a 9-iron. Or I would have hit it my, my big, I call it my, I don't call it a pitching wedge, I call it my big wedge and my little wedge. Um, that shows you how bad of a golfer I am. I have funny little terms. I don't even know what they are. Uh, I'll use the little club. So that was that was uh, a struggle, but it was nice. It was nice to play golf with intern McKenna. She left. Uh, I, I've told you before. I'm Catholic, and we there's some kind of youth retreat, youth Catholic thing um, that that was going on in St. Louis. So she flew to St. Louis New Year's morning. Get this. They had this get-together. The flight left at 6.05 in the morning. And the the people that were in charge of the flight, not in the flight of the group, wanted to meet at 3.45 New Year's morning at the airport. So these people are worse than my wife. They met. They didn't leave for the airport two hours and 15 minutes early. They didn't arrive at the airport two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 20 minutes early. They met at the bottom of the escalators at Sky Harbor in Terminal 4 at 2 hours and 15 minutes. Security's not even open yet. Oh, my gosh. Was that just crazy? Uh, Needless to say, I was responsible to drive the girls, or drive intern McKenna, 
because I'm I'm used to being up at three in the morning until I started talking things over with Jennifer and then she was freaking out about well we're still having friends over Sunday night for New Year's we're playing cards playing darts and I'm worried about how much beer you're going to drink so I'll drive which is that's one of those weird arguments those of you that are husbands you understand I said I would drive her so of course that means I'm going to pay attention to the drinking shut things off about you know nine ten o'clock five hours before we leave and yet that that wasn't good enough so then it became oh i'll i'll drive and she's what there's and i said what what and then it becomes one of those like weird arguments when you know that she's not happy with you when you didn't even do anything yet but that's part of being a husband you just say you're right honey 30 years of marriage. I could say that. You're right, honey. Thank you. Thanks for volunteering to drive her. It was kind of bad. I, I woke up out of habit like at about 4.45. I woke up. just on my own thinking, oh, no, I'm late for work. And then realized, okay, I don't work on January 1st. And then I looked over and... Uh, uh, Jennifer was already back in bed or she was in bed and I thought oh no you didn't get up so then I, I snuck out of bed went into intern McKenna's room and intern McKenna wasn't there so then I got on my phone and did the find my app and saw that she was sitting in the airport and I thought oh she's already taken her and come back to bed and I didn't even wake up cheers to me happy new year uh, Jennifer I had did, Jennifer and I for some reason we didn't talk a lot this weekend I don't know why <laughs> oh boy am i anybody else exhausted after i love the holidays i love everything but january 2nd it's always it's always been a very tired day for me the only time i wasn't tired january 2nd is actually january 2nd of 07 if if you are wondering if i wouldn't have been fired today what is today 2024 so today would have been the 17th, I guess, anniversary of Doug and Wolf. So today, January 2nd of 2007, was the first ever Doug and Wolf show. The first ever guest of Doug and Wolf, this is going to make you laugh, is Ian Johnson, who was the running back of Boise State, who ran the Statue of Liberty end around to beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl and then proposed to his girlfriend on the field. So he was the first ever guest after that epic fiesta bowl. So this is don't worry, this is not a sad day. I'm I'm over it. Uh, I just I just saw the calendar say January second, but I remember I was wide awake for that because you know I was kind of jacked up and we were on at five in the morning back then. So I, I guarantee you, Wolf doesn't know that at all. Wolf never paid attention to something like that, and I normally don't. But that one was kind of easy to know because it was right after New Year's Day and uh, and we started. Um, I guess. I guess that's it. Uh, sound credits today. Let's see what we got. We have uh, a Vogel from uh, Frank Vogel and Bradley Beal from uh, the Suns PR department. Thanks, guys. AZCardinals.com is where I got the Kyler Murray and the uh, Jonathan Gannon from. And uh, I, I did not ask, I forgot to ask, where did you, Jeff Weir Production and or Izzy, where did you guys get the Jim Harbaugh from? Oh, goodness, I don't know. Okay. I'll ask Izzy and we'll uh, get okay. that credit out there. And then the uh, Guinness Book of World Records 
helped us out with the 13.03 record. If you can do it in 13.02, you would be the record hoarder. Uh, What was his name? I already forgot. Nicholas Manning, who put on 10 pairs of underwear in only 13 seconds. And if you are listening to the podcast, you didn't get a chance to see the video that we showed here on WTSMTV.com. Have you ever seen those? Like, it's in the Chris Paul commercial. Have you ever seen those weird race walkers and the way they kind of walk and move their hips? Race, race walking is you always have to have one foot on the ground. If you ever have – because when you think about it, when you run at one point, both feet are off the ground. When walking, race walking, you have to have one foot on the ground at all times. When you watch the video, it looks like this guy is doing some kind of race walk, and he's got he's trying to set a record for ten pairs of underwear, getting them on. What I don't understand is he's got about fourteen pairs of underwear in front of him. I, I I don't I don't get the math on that. If you have to do ten, get to ten. But for some reason, I guess if there's a flaw in his underwear, then he's gonna get something else. Now, he's got them all stretched out so he can get his feet right in there and get them up. And he's got some little weird flip that he does with his thumbs. But what I love the most about the video that Jeff Weir Production just played is the sister, wife, girlfriend, or whoever, halfway through says, come on, babe. (laughs) You got this. The reason why I love that so much is because if you have a supportive wife, which I normally do except for last weekend, if you have a supportive wife, you know she's rooting for you because you put so much time and energy into your career, into your profession, into your children, into whatever it is. But the the pursuit of underwear ranks so high for this couple that she felt the emotion overtake her and she had to say, come on, babe. I mean, that. do you think this feat became a little too important? He said he trained for six months. Six months to put on underwear. I, I didn't train at all. I got mine on okay. I've been training for 39 years. That's true. That's true. You, uh, hopefully you succeeded today. I don't really want to know. But so, congratulations, Nicholas Manning, uh, uh, for all that you've accomplished. All right, I Michigan Wolverines is uh, where we got the hardball. Thank you, thank YouTube. you. YouTube, you were like lightning. Is he? Uh, here's something I, I got to set this one up before I do it. Doug's big one coming up in about eight seconds. I know, I know. This makes me an old man. Like sometimes you have an opinion that you are the guy in an uh, in an ugly porch chair yelling at society. I know that. I know that. But it's something that has to be said. Doug's Big One. I said let's roll late. Good job by Jeff Weir Production playing that. Doug's Big One this morning. I hate fireworks. There, I said it. I love, hey, Diamondbacks hit a home run. ASU got a touchdown. Fourth of July trained professional. I love that. I, I do. I love a good fireworks show. The New Year's Day neighbors in the street firing off fireworks that you know full well are illegal and are doing it anyway. I don't care that I'm the old man in the yard. I hate your fireworks. It drives me nuts. It does. That doesn't now. I am not 
I don't deserve you dri- doing a drive-by and throwing fireworks at the house because I'm not railroading it and like going to set a new law or I'm not campaigning, something like that. There's a difference. I didn't go into anybody's house and say, you know what? I hate your fireworks. All right. I didn't do that. That's okay. That's when there might be a retaliation in order. No, there's really never retaliation, but you get my point. But if it's just you and I talking, why? 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 I, I, I'll never understand, hey, let's explode something and hope it's controlled. I just, okay. There's so, I mean, I would rather beat you in cornhole, beat you in darts, beat you in cards, or go to bed. There are so many better things to do than to me watch unprofessional people set off fireworks. That's just annoying. And you'll never convince me that that there's a there's a normal reason to do that. And if you're good at it, if it's your family tradition, hey, God bless you. That's your family tradition. I will not get in the way of your family tradition as long as you don't set my house on fire. But I'm never going to enjoy obscure fireworks. There you go. Okay, Jeff, we're production rip me if I deserve it. Oh, good. So I'm, I'm sorry, saying, what was that? I said, go ahead and rip me if I deserve it. Oh, I'm right there with you. Are you really? I didn't get to sleep till 3.30 in the morning because of it. Oh, my gosh. See, I never thought in a million years I would actually, um, I would actually have a backer on that. I have never been in a war zone, but I imagine that that's what it sounds like was what it sounded like that night. Wow. It wow. sounded insane. It did seem my like house. there were more than normal. I I've, I've lived here since 07. Um well really from 06 to 07. So my the first day that I officially moved here was like December 28th or 29th something like that of 2006. And so I've been here long enough that I got my townie card in the mail. I feel like an Arizonan. Um I realize I don't know if I'm allowed to call. Like, is is intern McKenna first generation Arizona or is she second generation Arizona? Now she wasn't born here; she was born in Kansas City, but we moved here when she was like one and a half or two or three. I don't remember, but I mean something very very young. Well, I can do the math. She was born in '04, so she was she was uh, about two and a half years old when we moved here. I think. That she's at least first generation, unless you want to argue, no, you got to be born here to be first generation. I say she's first generation. And I think I've lived long enough here to be something generation. Half? Can I be a half? Will you give me a half? I mean, 17 years is a long time. So I'll go, I'll go half generation, Arizona. All right, it's enough of me yapping. Anybody want to do any work today? <laughs> Let's start with Sons. I don't know how to feel about the Suns. And the reason why I say I don't know how to feel is because when you go 3-0, three games in four nights, that's not easy. Yet, all three games are at home. You played Charlotte, one of the worst teams in basketball. You played Orlando, who's having a wonderful season, but it it's not like you're really intimidated by the magic. And then you played an awful Portland team who also had an injury to all-star stud, Mr. Energy, DeAndre Ayton. Can I really get that jacked up that you went 3-0? I mean, it's better than not going 3-0. 
They beat Charlotte behind Booker's 35. Uh, I want to talk about the Charlotte game a lot. Nurkic had 24 and 15. Beat Orlando, but only by five points. Main reason why they beat Orlando was because the Suns only had six turnovers. Nurkic, again, had 19 and 13. But what was phenomenal is, is listen to the four starters. KD with 31, Beal with 25, Booker with 21, and Nurkic had 19 and 13. That's really nice. And then last night they beat Portland 109-88. The only reason that I was really impressed with that is you're on the back end of a back-to-back against a bad team on New Year on New Year's Day when you could have had a lot of guys doing something the night before. You never know how focused they are. And the Suns took it very seriously, were very aggressive. They went to the free throw line 33 times against Portland. So there's a lot of things that I, I like about this. Booker's shooting is, was bad all weekend. But other than that, there's good things. The Charlotte game that I told you I wanted to talk about, Nurkic is 24-15. and 15. And listen, Nurkic gets credit for those 24 points. Gets all you know, tons of credit. He was the one that was working hard in the post. He was the one that was competitive enough after years of watching DeAndre Ayton just zone out and never be competitive. And DeAndre Ayton had the worst hands of any center I've ever seen. You know what? what not any center. Gosh, what was... I cannot remember his name. There was a guy for the Suns who was their like second or third string center, had the ponytail for years. And he was one of those Mr. Hustle guys, so everybody in the crowd loved him. But And it was not Jock, Jock Landale from a couple years ago. It was, I'm talking 10 years ago. And he had the worst hands of any human being I've ever seen. It was crazy how many times he dropped the ball. Ayton is number two, other than anybody that is wide receiver for the Chiefs, of course. But DeAndre Ayton, terrible hands. So Nurkic did the work. I want to make sure I give Nurkic credit first. But in that Charlotte game, there was a concerted effort by the Suns, unlike any other game this year, to continually attack the basket. And by attacking the basket, they forced Charlotte defensively to rotate, and they couldn't guard Nurkic in rotation. So Nurkic was the beneficiary, but I want to make sure that it's clear how hard everybody else played. It's not comfortable to drive to the basket all the time. All right, it's it's not lazy to shoot jumpers unless you're settling. It's hard to go to the hole, take the contact, and do it the whole night long. And they did that against Charlotte. And Nurkic was the beneficiary, and that's what really excited me for the first time watching the Suns was them attack, attack, attack. Now, before the weekend, I had mentioned I did not see the Houston Rockets game, and I remember Steve McCollum really happy talking about it on the main event about the ball movement. So when I, I paid very close attention to it, I agreed with him watching the Houston game. Ball movement was was so much better. But I liked the Charlotte game even more because I got some of the ball movement that I got from Houston, but I got a lot more of the drives to the basket that was if you do both. This team is unguardable, and that's what they did against Charlotte Nurkic, the beneficiary. Orlando was closer than I would have wanted. The bench was bad, but the bench came back and dominated the second quarter against Portland, and that's why they won. Let's get to uh, 
the sound. The sound is all focused on the Portland game from last night with Frank Vogel. Here's his opening statement. Yeah, um, I want to credit that, credit our bench. You know, I think they were the the group in that that uh, second quarter with uh, with Bowl and Mezzi at the four five. Bradley Beal, Eric Gordon, um, you know that, and, and, and Jo Joshua Kogi brought great defensive energy, uh, hustle plays, strips. Uh, loose balls, uh, all those types of things, and uh, you know we were getting a lot of stops and getting out on the break, and things just get a, get a lot easier when uh, when you're not taking the ball out of, your, out of your own basket and you're not fouling. You know what I mean? So uh, credit those guys uh, for staying ready, and uh, you know we had some games throughout the the course of this year where you know our bench got outplayed by the other team's bench. Our bench tonight gets the game ball. I like that. Um. The reason why I like it is I'm glad that he he didn't sugarcoat the failings of the bench at times this year by specifically saying, hey, we, we've had a lot of games where the bench got outplayed. Points-wise, they did get outplayed. But they dominated the second quarter that then basically put the game out of reach for a team like Portland that is a streaky three-point shooting team, not a great three-point shooting team. That's number one. Uh, number two, I, I like this. There's a stat for the Suns that's very weak, and it's points in the paint. And the reason why it's weak is the backcourt defense is bad. And I don't mean defense in the backcourt. I mean the guards are allowing way too much penetration. So then you get in the lane, and you either have short jumpers and layups by the guards or exactly what I explained with Nurkic against Charlotte, you have a scenario where the defense isn't rotating fast enough, the guard drives in, the big has to leave his man to stop the penetration, and then the guard gives the ball to the previous big's man. I hope that made sense. If it didn't make sense, just remember Magic and Kareem if you're as old as me, Shaq and Kobe if you're young but still kind of old school, or maybe Maxi and Joel Embiid a little bit now. What that means is if you drive the lane and you get past the guy guarding you, the only person that's left to protect the rim is the big. So the big leaves his man and comes to guard you. And guess what that means? That means the guy he left is now open. That was Nurkic all game long against Charlotte. So points in the paint are a major problem right now for the Suns because not because the center is playing poorly, but because the guards are not getting the stops up top to begin with. That seemed to change this weekend. Again, weaker teams, but that did change this weekend. And because Bancaro was was just hot from the outside, so why did he need to drive? He was hitting them from anywhere he was. But for the most part, they stopped the penetration and then did the penetration themselves, which opened up Nurkic underneath. Suddenly you win points in the paint. Here's Coach. It's a big point of emphasis for uh, this phase of our season. We, we struggled to guard the paint early in the season, and uh, you know we're trying to improve in that area. In, in all ways that we can. Obviously, executing our coverages, it starts there, but individual containment, you know, being strong in your gaps and, and the tight shell, and, you know, we're really winding our centers up. I thought Nurk was really good um, attacking everything that came to the basket, every cut, every drive, every roll, um, you know, just using his size, not worrying about his own man, and, um, you know, just being an attacker, you know, for, for everything that comes to the basket. I think he's really growing in that regard. 
and it's uh it's giving us a big lift. So you know, thirty they were under man tonight. I mean, we have to call that that part of it like it is, but you know, thirty six 34, 36 points in the paint. That's a great night for our defense. Really, again, I like the truism of Frank Vogel. He says, hey, we got to call it like it is. They were undermanned tonight, meaning no DeAndre Ayton. Not that he's the biggest threat in the world, but still, he does take up space. And with that, he's saying, we understand we dominated a weaker team. But anytime I get under 40 points in the paint for the other team, I'm happy. And Nurkic alone had, you know, almost half with 24 points, 19 points in the first two games. And then that was last night. Uh, that was about Portland. All right, this is going to be a, a little weird, Jeff Weir production. Vogel 3 and Beal 2 are about the same thing. So let's skip those for now. And uh, But I, I do want to play them, and I'm going to get back to them. So let's do Beal 1, Beal 3. And Bradley Beal was talking about how everybody talked about him. A lot of the quotes after the Orlando game were about Bradley Beal because he went 10 of 13 and was very aggressive. That was the New Year's Eve night game. So then on New Year's Day, he shot 50% and, uh, and hit 21 points. And was, he's just being a lot more active. And he was asked... Are you officially comfortable right now with Phoenix, the Suns, the offense, and all the changes in your life? Speaks that means a lot uh, for sure. You know, just hearing it from my teammates, my peers, and you know, it's um, you know, it's very enlightening. You know, to to feel welcome, to feel wanted, to feel um, you know, to feel like you're a contributor to our success. You know, so that tumbling, you know, definitely motivates me to continue to. Uh, be better and and uh, do whatever you know it takes for this team to you know push it forward or help us win. So. I screwed that up. <laughs> the first I asked for Vogel one and then describe. I asked for Beal one and then described Beal three. Jeff Weir production did his job. I did not do mine. Um, that one was about the players and specifically Frank Vogel talking about how much they trust him and how the players have said, you know, we have we have no issues with Bradley ramping back up and where he's at. And that was comments about him being needed. And I don't think that was a slam on Washington. I think it was just more how every injured player feels a disconnect with the team and then how he feels appreciative of being appreciated. And that's only going to get better. And it did look good. I like the grit of Grayson Allen in the starting lineup. I like the hustle of Nurkic. The only thing is Nurkic really has to keep improving. He is getting better, but it's not good enough if you want to win a championship. He's got to get better at being a leader. And I know that sounds weird because you've got to be thinking, wait, they've got Kevin Durant. They've got Devin Booker. Why do they need leadership? It doesn't matter. I'm not talking about leadership in the overarching sense of in the locker room, on the bus, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's only one leader of a defense in the NBA, and that's the center. The center has to – it's almost like you're the middle linebacker. You've got to read the offensive set. You've got to know what they're doing. You've got to let everybody know how we're going to defend it. You've got to bark out the coverages. You're in charge of the defense. Your level of communication has to be incredible. 
now imagine you're new on the job. Whatever job you have right now, imagine you're new on this job. And the people that are around you, you know full well, they're all better than you. And some of them are legends in the field. Let's say you're a new sales manager and you've got a sales staff with two of the guys are two of the best salespeople that industry has ever seen. One of the guys would be an all-star on anybody else's team, but he's a little overshadowed by your team. And now you're the sales manager telling them what to do. How aggressive are you? How in charge are you? You know, how much power do you take? I think Nurkic at the beginning was soft. Not soft in the way that we normally mean that word to attack somebody personally. Not soft in the sense that you could break him or he wouldn't fight hard against his man. He was soft in a leadership sense that he didn't drive home a hammer of, hey, book, keep your guy out of the paint. You know, stuff like that. Oh, okay, Booker got beat. Oh, Kevin Durant got beat. Okay, I'll come over and help. He was tough on his guy, but he wasn't tough on the team as a defensive leader. I am not saying it's easy. It is not easy to get dropped into a new city, a new team, when everybody's learning a new defense all at the same time, and you're now in charge of everything a guy like Devin Booker and Kevin Durant do on the defensive side. That's different. It's hard. But it doesn't change that that's your job. I hope I explained that well because it's very easy just to rip a guy, say, that's your job, you stink, you should have done it. And at the same time, recognizing, Yusuf, if you care, I don't know if you're in the Unplugged Army, Yusuf, I don't know if you're a huge Doug Franz Unplugged fan. I've never seen you hang out in the parking lot of WTSMTV.com. I'm sure your parents love it. I'm sure. But I'm saying I understand how hard that job was starting off. And I'm saying, you didn't do a good job at that very hard job. It does seem like he's getting better, and that leads to the points in the paint. And you see that. And that was the Vogel quote, but you see where I'm going with all of that. Now, if I am getting this lineup of 30, this is against Orlando, so this is uh, Sunday night. If I'm getting 31 from KD, 25 from Beal, 21 from Booker, hopefully a little more, and Nurkic continually is getting me a strong double-double like 19-13, we're now in a conversation of having a great season. I wouldn't put them above Denver, but that might change. They might get better and better. Then the grid of Grayson Allen, now a bench if they actually do start performing. I don't want to get too excited because all you did was outplay Portland's bench. So you took one of the worst teams in basketball, and obviously their bench has got to be one of the worst, and you outperformed them. All right, but at least you did it, so we can hopefully build uh, on on something there. Let's see, sound-wise, I, I kind of forgot where I'm at. Okay, I remember. This is the one I set up before. This is Beal 3, Jeff Weir Production, in which now I'm asking, how comfortable are you with where you fit in this offense and in this city? Uh, I'm, I'm getting more of – it's starting to feel more homey more and more as I get here. I'm starting to get used to everything, getting used to my daily routines. Um, starting to learn how to drive around without a GPS a little bit now. Um, but, you know, as far as on the court, you know, that's, that's, it's hard, but it's also easy, you know, because we have such good character guys. We don't have a lot of egos. We don't have guys who think they're higher than the next man, you know, so it, it makes 
playing the game and, and adapting to each other very easy um, and manageable, you know, I would say. So I'm, I'm definitely like I'm still getting getting my legs under me, getting my feet under me, uh, getting my wind, too. But um, it's good to be able to, you know, have a good feel and general feel of how we play, how we're going to play and how guys, um, you know, their strengths and weaknesses are, too. That's the one thing that's nice. The season's a week old. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if I'm really joking when I say that, but all of us have always felt for years the season starts on Christmas and we're a week out of Christmas. And it's been about a week since we've had a healthy Beal, a healthy Durant, and a healthy book. I'm not really too bent out of shape or, or saying we're unhealthy because KD missed a game with a hamstring. Three games and four nights, back end of a back-to-back at home, not on national television. Perfect time against one of the worst teams in basketball. Perfect time to rest KD. Say he's got a bad hamstring all you want. It's his first missed game. I think he's okay. Now, I told you it won three games in four nights, but the competition, Charlotte, Orlando, Portland, not thrilling. Not thrilling. Now it heats up. Now it heats up. Listen, this will be uh, Vogel 3, if you don't mind, Jeff Weir Production. When he goes through this next stretch of games, you can see it's dramatically different for the Suns. Yeah, I mean, if uh, if we get healthy, if Kev comes back, uh, I like our chances against anyone. Uh, but those are some really, really good teams, you know, coming in here. And, and uh, you know, obviously, Ja being back, um, you know, what the Clippers look like now with James in, in the fold, which, which, which was already, a, a you know, an excellent team. Um, and then Miami being in the finals last year, you know, we got some, uh, uh, you know, good good barometer games for us, see where we're at. But, uh, you know, I like our chances against anyone. Now, this is the longest, one of the longest homestands of the season. Charlotte, Orlando, it's a six-game homestand. Charlotte, Orlando, Portland. But it ends coming up tomorrow night with the Clippers, the Heat, and Memphis. And that's what he was referring to. And plus, you look at it with Ja coming back for Memphis. There's a little bit of extra juice. So, Bradley Beal, I, I, I know you got these three wins. That's nice. You came back against Charlotte. But you recognize how everything changes coming up tomorrow night. I think we were a little better tonight, uh, for sure. Uh, but it's, it's still going to we, you know, we've got, we've got to challenge ourselves every game, you know, and to be better. Our next game, we're really going to be challenged, you know, to, to be able to guard it. guard one-on-one because that's what they love to do. So, uh, you know, we just got to make sure we're dialed in and take, you know, be willing to accept the challenge personally. Knowing that, you know, their guy wants to – a lot of teams nowadays, you know, it's three balls and, you know, calling out whoever they think is the weakest defender. You know, that's kind of how the league is transitioned. And, you know, we got to make sure that, you know, you don't feel like you're one of those guys being called out. We got to put our – you know, plant our feet in the ground and be ready to guard. I'm cheating because I didn't realize it was as tough as it really was, if you don't mind. So – as, as I started looking at the schedule, I thought, oh, wow, it, it just doesn't let up here for a long time. I'm not even going to write it down anymore. Let me just tell you. Here's your month of January. And sorry I'm turned away from the camera if you're watching on WTSMTV.com, but I want to get this right. Told you about Clippers, Heat, Memphis coming up the next three home games, right? Then it's at L.A. for both teams. January 8th against the Clippers, January 11th against the Lakers. Uh, it's interesting with that. There's a chance they might fly home for that. I mean, fly in on the eighth, fly home on the ninth, and uh, you just stay. 
because then you you be on a plane a lot. Uh, then they're at Portland, tiny break, and then home against Sacramento at New Orleans, home against the Pacers, home against the Bulls at Dallas, at the Pacers, at Orlando, at Miami, at Brooklyn, and not that Atlanta and Washington are scary, but those are two road games after that long trip that started when you flew out of town January 23rd, and then you had seven games, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games on the road, and you don't return home until February 5th. And then what's your present when you get home on February 5th? The next day you're home against Milwaukee on February 6th. Here we go. And then the All-Star break happens usually right around there. Let me cheat and see when the all So February 14th against Detroit is the All-Star break, so that's a little bit of a break. That'll be nice. But you have that stretch of games almost between now and the All-Star break. So everything we've talked about, the good, the bad, the ugly of the Phoenix Suns, that's all done now. Okay, now's where everything starts. And this is real. This now gets real. But here's what's important. When you look at the standings, how strange are the standings right now? And I, there's a very good chance when I said that you go, Doug, I have, I have no idea what the standings are. Right now in the standings, two teams that would be in the play-in tournament, the Suns and the Lakers. And there's one team that's not even a playoff team right now, the Warriors. Golden, there's 10 playoff spots. Seven plays eight, nine plays ten in the playoff tournament. Winner of seven eight gets in. Loser of seven eight plays the winner of nine ten. Loser of nine ten is out. Winner of nine ten has to win another game. Then you've got your eight playoff teams. Team eleven is not invited to the play in tournament. And right now, the play in tournament, like number one not invitee, is Golden State. And lately, man, Steve Kerr has been ripping the team, the Warriors. He's just been all over them, basically calling them soft and uh, really frustrated. And it's funny, when I'm watching Warrior games, Steve Kerr has no problem calling out the team, but he hasn't specifically called out Klay Thompson. And that is, I don't like calling out Klay Thompson because when he was healthy before the ACL and and the Achilles, that guy hustled and did everything. Guarded the toughest guy and scored 20 points a game. So I, on the one hand, I want to defend Clay Thompson's past, but right now it's almost like his mentality is I'm the old Clay Thompson. Get off my back. And no, you're not. You know a player that I will always respect, right? Oh, thank you for the standings. I didn't I didn't think you'd do that. So let me make sure I got that right. Yes, I do. So right now, it just looks so weird to see Minnesota number one, Oklahoma City number two. Okay, like if you tried to rank who do you think the best team in the West is, you'd say Denver, number one. And if you're not watching on WTSMTV.com and you're listening to the podcast, please try to jump up and become a basic member. And then you can at least watch it on demand when you get home. But right now, the uh, Timberwolves are one. The Thunder are two. The Nuggets and Clippers are the three, four. The Pelicans are in comfortably right now. Now, when I say comfortably, they're only a half game up on Dallas. But, I mean, they're the sixth seed, so they don't have the play-in tournament. So, right now, if the playoffs started today, the Suns would go to Dallas for a game. If the Suns win, then they're automatically the seventh seed, and they travel to Oklahoma City for round one. 
if they would lose that game at Dallas, the Suns would come home and they'd face the winner of Lakers-Rockets. And don't you think that would be the Lakers? So it would be Suns-Lakers downtown Phoenix for the right to even get into the playoffs. That's strange to talk about. Okay, So that's where the standings are today. And you can see why this, to me, is like the dividing line because almost, not everyone, but almost every game from here to the All-Star break is against much better teams. And then after the All-Star break, it's kind of more of a sprint. The All-Star break is not even remotely close in the NBA to the halfway point of the season. It's well past the halfway point. So now the Suns are going to have a limited amount of games post-All-Star break. But I wanted you to see those standings to think about with the Lakers, Warriors, and Suns, three teams that you would like to talk about as potential championship teams, and none of them are comfortably in the top six right now. That's how screwy the Western Conference is. So that also shows you how much time the Suns still have to fix it as long as they get rolling now. Problem is, they're not playing against teams that's going to be easy to get rolling against. All right, that's it for uh, Suns. I I can't think of another point I was going to make, so I think I'm good. I, I, hopefully, you feel good about that Suns breakdown, breakdown, breakdown. I kind of want today to be a, hey, let's catch you up on Suns, catch you up on Coyotes, and then let's kind of wrap up the Cardinals, even though we've got one game left for Arizona. They had a great game against the Philadelphia Eagles, but I think there's one thing that's the most important thing to know about this year's team, and it was proven in Philadelphia. I'll tell you what that is next. This is the home of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. The main event with Steve McCollum and Dale Hellestray. And iOS is he on sports with Isaiah Jackson Jr., the only TV station in all of Arizona that gives you six hours of local sports programming every weekday morning. We're WTSMTV.com. I thought Kyler was lights out today. James Conner was lights out. The old line, I don't know. Where we, that's a really good front. We ran it, you know, up and down the field. Um, just really hats off to the players, the resilience, the week of practice that we had. They're on it today. Here is Sue Riggler on starting 100 Mile Brewing Company. What started 100 Mile Brewing Company is I actually have a degree in microbiology from ASU. Go Devils! And went back to school. I found out that UC San Diego had a brewing program, so I enrolled in that. And with the intention of opening a brewery, I came back to Tempe because it's Sun Devil country. I wanted to open a brewery in Tempe, which fresh it never gets old is our tagline. And I'm pretty much a stickler about fresh beer. It's got to be fresh. Otherwise, it's not going to be served here. So in the Franz household, we have an air conditioning unit, an air scrubber, a reverse osmosis system, and a tankless water heater all purchased from Parker & Sons. Why? Well, number one, because we trust them. We got to know Parker & Sons about six months into living in Phoenix, and they've showed up on time, got it right the first time, and treated us great every single time. So why would we go anywhere else? The other thing I like is some of the products have even saved us money. The reverse osmosis system gives us bottle quality water from a tap. And then the tankless water heater, I can't even imagine how much money it has saved us. We never run out of hot water, even on holidays when people are coming in to visit. And it doesn't heat up water and then just let it sit in a tank. It only heats it up as we use it. So we only use the electricity when we need it. 
and our air scrubber takes allergens and bacteria out of the air, which has just been a dream for my wife and my youngest daughter, who have some pretty heavy allergies. Call 6022-REPAIR to learn about these products. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub and Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. I got a lot. I got a lot going on. <laughs> Just the the first the first like I did a show Friday. If you didn't know, and that was a complete cluster for me because I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I was totally unprepared for the day. I didn't get all the games watched I needed to get watched, but I wanted to get back into the habit. Uh, this weekend, man, it was. It was a lot of work. So Friday, screw off a little bit and play golf, but then work Friday night. Uh, Saturday morning was work, you know, basically all day uh, Saturday. I forget what else I did. I think I had some kind of respite for a little bit, but I worked uh, almost all day Saturday. And then Sunday, went to Mass, worked in the morning, but then had friends over uh, later on. And then yesterday... I got up at about 8.30 in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, and never stopped working until midnight last night. Just had so many games from my vacation. I still have about six or seven college basketball games on the DVR and about, uh, I think I'm done with NHL. I got about three bowl games uh, left to watch. So I, I still got a lot to do, cause that, but, but I, that doesn't have to be done now. That's preparation for the uh, April draft in the NFL and for March Madness in college basketball. So I, I, I watch everything. One of the games I have not watched is that meltdown of U of A against Stanford. Stanford shot 64% from three. What are you guys doing? What was weird is how similar the scores were. It was 100 to 81 and then 100 to 82. But one's a win, one's a loss for U of A. And then ASU, the comebacks this weekend. On the one hand, what are you doing down – to bad teams like that. On the other hand, how did you pull that off? ASU's a weird team. They had three assists. They won with three assists. That's impossible. That is impossible to be that bad at sharing the basketball and get a win. As good as Pac-12 football was this year, I think Pac-12 basketball is going to be bad. Very, very bad. All right, let's get to Cardinals. I might have time to talk a little more college hoop later. I don't know if I will, to be honest, because i got a lot of things I want to go over Arizona Cardinal-wise. I think the number one thing that you have to talk about first and foremost with this game, either credit Monty Austin for, for bringing in the people that have character or Jonathan Gannon for making sure that he's, you know, on the right page, going step for step with his guys. But winning that game in Philadelphia, you know that game meant a ton to Jonathan Gannon. 
and the players elevated their performance. This is a three-win team. This is a bad, in my opinion, it's a bad football team. To me, Steve Kime mentally checked out about five or about five years ago. Um, I was always a defender of Steve Kime until, of all things, there was a there was a Rams game where they just got blitzkrieged. I mean, it was an embarrass. It was a civic embarrassment. They got beat so bad. And I don't mean the playoff game. I, I mean years ago. So, yes, they eventually got to be 7-0 and before the Thursday night game against Green Bay. They got to the playoffs two years ago. But you could tell that wasn't a good team. And and the depth just wasn't there to last throughout the season. And that and I started to turn on Steve Kime. And I don't say turn on like be a jerk. I mean, I'm a professional. But at the same time, I stopped defending him and then started wanting him to be gone. And I look at Monty Ossenfort now saying you've inherited a lot of players that you probably don't want. But with your guys and Kimes guys, Jonathan Gannon has done enough that the players wanted to play for him. That says a lot to me that they were able to play that well. Then overcome the pick six. Um, I don't know whose fault the pick six was. I, I don't. It's driving me crazy. I'm kind of assuming it was Michael Wilson because this is unfair because he's the rookie, so you just blame the rookie. But if you didn't see the game uh, on Sunday, Kyler threw a pick six in which he threw it to a spot and there was nobody there. There was absolutely no one there. And Michael Wilson looked like you were supposed to go there, and he didn't. And that's where you're reading the coverage, you're reading the route, you're doing what you think you're supposed to do, where the best spot is to get open. The quarterback is instructed to throw you open so you're finding space. They both looked bad on the play because I didn't think he was open in any way. No matter where Michael Wilson was going to go, unless he was going to sit down right there, Michael Wilson, if he turns in, he's getting ready to run into coverage. If he turns out, there's not a very good angle. And then if he goes deep, he's running into whoever it was that made the interception. I I mean, there was nowhere for him to go other than to stop right there. And that's not where Kyler threw it. But if Kyler's reading it and saying, hey, you're only going to be one-on-one back there, I trust you to fight for the ball, there's nothing wrong with that either. If Kyler knew the coverage was there but thought it was going to be one-on-one in the front of the end zone, that's that's not a bad opinion. So I don't know who to blame. I, I reached out to one person, and uh, uh, I just heard, I don't know yet. <laughs> and, and I, okay. And then I didn't hear back. So I'm kind of in, in, in a nebulous reason on that. Everything else, I take my number one takeaway is that Jonathan Gannon had players that really played hard this late in the season on a long road trip. And number two, on how good Kyler looked. I think those are important things. Let's uh, let's get into the post-game sound first, and then there's also the Monday morning press conference that every head coach does that Jonathan Gannon did yesterday. But since we haven't played the post-game sound, here's Jonathan Gannon immediately coming off the win, goes through the injury situation, and then compliments his players. So we're looking at that. Garrett had an ankle. And I think other than that, we're pretty clean. So, um, you know, hats off to the players. That's a really good team over there, obviously, battling for the one seed. Um, you know, being down 21-6, I felt like we're down 21-6 at half, but we felt like we left some plays out there. 
Um, our offense kind of moved it up and down. Defense had a couple, I think one three and out. I didn't like how the two the two minute played there with them scoring there at the end. But you know, down twenty one six at half, the energy was good, the the focus was good, came out, scored. Um, I don't know exactly what went on, but uh, you know, got back in the game, got it to a one score game, which was what we talked about, so we could play normal football on both on all three phases. And um, got a couple stops there. Um, played the, the last six minutes exactly how we talked about playing it. Just came up a little bit different. And um, thought the execution was good. And uh, I thought Kyler was lights out today. James Conner was lights out. The O-line, I don't know. That's a really good front. We ran it, you know, up and down the field. Um, just really hats off to the players, the resilience, the week of practice that we had. They're on it today. A lot to look at. Great job complimenting uh, Kyler and anybody that was blocking for James Conner, let alone the performance of James Conner. There's one other person that really deserves a big compliment, and I hope this is a change, and that is Drew Petzing. Drew Petzing, even though they got down by two possessions, even though there were moments in the game where I think Drew Petzing in games past, past abandoned the run that had similar situations as this game. He didn't abandon the run in this game. This team actually challenges for wins when the offensive coordinator puts the ball in James Conner's hands. Now, they're, they're, that doesn't mean to me they're a good team. There's still massive holes defensively. There's still, especially on the back end, to me, there's massive holes on the offensive line to be a complete offensive line. It's really not a bad run-blocking offensive line. I think the guards are terrible, and I, I don't think Froholt can really handle being a championship center. But for just, hey, can these five guys block to run the football? Yeah, they can. And James Conner was fantastic. And that's now the first compliment for Drew Petzing. And that becomes a huge question mark then. Does he earn the big compliment for this game? Or did he change? I would rather have it be the latter. If it's just for this game, that means we're going to go right back to, uh-oh, down two possessions, start chucking it. Then this isn't a very, I mean, then this guy isn't a good offensive coordinator. But if he's learned his lesson, and changed and adapted to the actual personnel that he has, that's a real compliment to him to realize he was wrong in previous games, stick to the running game in this game. So I was really happy with what I saw from Drew Petzing uh, in that game. Here is Jonathan Gannon specifically talking about Kyler. If you didn't know about Kyler's numbers, 25 of 31, 232 yards, three touchdowns in the pick six. Uh since we don't know whose fault it was on the pick six, I got to say that's a really good day. Only six incompletions and three touchdown passes. That's a really good day. He was lights out. You know, I thought he did a good job. I mean, he, they, you know, they did some different things. You know what I mean? You, you only had three games or four games to look at. A little bit different. Some wrinkles different in there. But uh, I thought he operated well in a hostile environment. You guys heard how loud it was. You know, I know I told those guys it's a, t it's a really tough place to play. It's a great place to play. The environment's legit. Um, it's just 
unbelievable sports city, you know what I mean? But uh, I thought he made plays, he hung in there, he made plays with his legs, he was accurate, he found the open people, got us in the right stuff. I didn't have to take any timeouts with delays, you know, that's always a thing, you know, when it's loud on the road. Um, I thought he was lights out today. That is, that. there's a lot of truth to that with Kyler. He was really good. Now, this is going to be an interesting conversation with you. It is Town Hall Tuesday, and no, I did not do Town Hall Tuesday, and I just want to be blunt. Why? Because I was gone all week, and with I, I didn't have a lot of interaction with you, so I thought it would be a little forced if I just found old ones. So Town Hall Tuesday comes back next week. And because this feels like Monday, doesn't it? <laughs> There's a little bit of that. But I am interested in, in how you perceive this opinion. It doesn't change my opinion when I give it to you. But I want to know if you really appreciate it or if you'd like to file this in the nitpicking. What I care about is what is Drew Petzing and, uh, and Jonathan Gannon and Monty Williams' feeling on, on this. And that is with about seven minutes or so to go in the second period, okay? And uh, right, right around the eight-minute mark, okay, of the second quarter. I'm really jacked up about the Coyotes. That's why I said second period. There was a mistake that Kyler made that is so high schoolish that you can't help but wonder what's going on. Why would this happen? To everybody else, you might say, oh, my gosh, it's only a five-yard penalty, and then everybody else should have done something. Ah! And, and a lot of people will not blame the quarterback at all for this. However, I guarantee you this does not happen to a Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning, a, a Carson Palmer, things like that. Okay? doesn't happen. And this is the exact attention to detail that you don't get with Kyler. So keep in mind, Kyler had his best game of 2023, even though it was pretty close to 2024, and hasn't played this well in a long, long time, including parts of 2022. Yet, this is the type of things that a coach nitpicks, a coach looks at. And I'm really talking to a lot of you high school coaches to see what you thought of this. The Cardinals got hit with an illegal shift penalty just inside the eight-minute mark of the second quarter. And this is this is bobblehead time. This is when you need to get the basic package, at least on WTSMTV.com, so you can see. So we'll use the bobbleheads to be able to explain what it means to be covered up. Lions fans, this might be really appropriate for you as well, to cover up the end and how things are supposed to work. So, we will say Fitz is Trey McBride, okay? And then we'll put Alice Cooper out here as Pascal, and uh, Senator McCain will be the left tackle, DJ Humphreys, okay? So, Fitz is McBride. He's lined up on the line of scrimmage. Don't put your hand down when you're lined up on the line of scrimmage because you can't go into motion if your hand's down. So he's standing here on the line of scrimmage. Then you take one step backwards to be off the line of scrimmage, and now he goes into motion. All right? As he goes into motion, he goes past the left tackle. Now he's going to line up on the line of scrimmage. So he turns and lines up on the line of scrimmage. Technically, this is an illegal formation. 
All right. The reason why it's an illegal formation is you have the th- whoever's on the end of the line. This is now Alice Cooper. You're the only eligible receiver. Only the receive, only the person on the very end of the line of scrimmage is eligible. Now, I'm not talking about the four players in the backfield. That's different. Of the seven guys that must be on the line of scrimmage, only the two ends are eligible receivers. So as soon as McBride steps in between these two, he is now what's called covered up by Alice Cooper. So he's wearing an eligible number in an ineligible position. That's illegal. Does that make sense? So, therefore, you have to have somebody move. That would be Alice Cooper. If Alice Cooper steps off the line of scrimmage, now Trey McBride is wearing an eligible number, and he's the last person on the line of scrimmage. So, therefore, this is now legal with Alice Cooper behind them. I'll, I'll pull him back further so you can see it on the monitor better. Does that make sense? Okay. So, here's what happened. McBride comes running over, and he waves his left hand, telling Pascal to get back off the line of scrimmage. And Pascal, for some reason, was late to realize it. Just didn't move. So he's standing there, and then all of a sudden he goes, oh, yeah, I got to step off the line. He steps off the line. While he is still moving, Kyler Murray sends another man into motion. You don't go into motion until Kyler Murray calls out the check or looks at you or gives you the signal to go into motion. It is 100% every single time the quarterback's job to make sure the team is set and in the proper formation before you put somebody into motion, before you snap the ball. He did not look. So, yes, somebody that loves Kyler Murray is going to say, wait, that's Pascal's fault. Why didn't Pascal get off the line as soon as McBride went up? I don't know why. I don't know why. It is Pascal's job. McBride signaling him back. Pascal didn't do it. And then he realized it and did it. And as he stepped back, Kyler wasn't looking at Pascal. He put his man into motion. And boom, now you've got an illegal shift penalty. For some of you that don't care about the minutia of football and you say, hey, did Kyler play well? The answer is yes. He played great. He really did. It's one of those games where it's the first time that, well, game one of the season for for Kyler was really good. So it's only the second time this year where Amani Ford, if the decision isn't already made, is saying Kyler Murray is the best option for 2024. There have been about five situations where you'd say we should go in a different direction. Here's now the second Monday slash Tuesday morning where you say Kyler's the best option. But this little thing shows the attention to detail with Kyler is always waning. There's always something that he doesn't focus on that slips through the cracks. And I'm interested to see how you felt about that. Because some of you are going to go, Doug, it's five yards and it was Pascal's fault. And you get mad about it. What are you talking about? That's not the quarterback. You even said Pascal should have moved back. Yes, he should have. But I guarantee you the greats of the game, the detail-oriented quarterbacks, the amount of time quarterbacks spend. Like, for an example, do you know Peyton Manning used to spend hours filming his handoffs? His handoffs. He would actually film his handoffs. Why? He wanted to make sure every handoff looked exactly like every play fake. 
every time I pretend to put the ball in my receiver's belly needs to look like every time I actually do put the ball in the receiver's belly. Even his drop back, because he knew if he had any tell, there's no reason for the play fake. The linebackers would read it and figure it out before he actually did it. He cared that much. He would sit with his own middle linebacker, his own linebacker's coach, and say, watch this film. Do you see any subtle difference in how I'm doing my actual handoff and my play fake? That's a championship-level attention to detail. And what happened yesterday on that one play is another example of a lack of attention to detail from Kyler Murray. And that's kind of the norm. Some people look at that and say that shows he's never really going to put the time in. He's never going to get it. And others of you will look at that and say, Doug, it's five yards. Who cares? Get over it. He's had a great game. Can't you just say he had a great game? Yes, he did have a great game. He did. But don't you've got a bad coaching staff if they're not on his butt yesterday for that. That's 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 what it means to be a great coach. That nothing slips through the cracks. And I'm 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 interested to see how the Cardinals feel about it. And I'm interested to see how you feel about that. All right, let's get back to um, the sound from from the coaching staff and from JG. And I don't even have any idea, Jeff Weir Production, where I left off. Uh, Kyler one. Uh, okay. We'll I went, next. Yep, let's go Kyler one. Here's Kyler talking about how well everything went offensively. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, after, after, after the game, JG had told us, you know, we didn't punt all day, you know, so as far as confidence, we moved the ball, you know, whole first half, we just obviously got the interception and, and then kicking field goals in the red zone. So it wasn't like, you know, we weren't moving it. Um, but I think, you know, we just, we, we executed well today. We executed uh, the game plan. Uh, guys, guys blocked their asses off, uh, you know, receivers and running backs made plays, man. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a good day. I feel ridiculous saying this. I thought the Cardinals were far and away the better team Sunday. Like, the score is close. But that game plan for the Eagles was trash. You just The Cardinals just gave up 250 yards rushing against the Bears. And I realize that the Cardinals are now geared up to make sure they stop the run. But it wasn't until the Cardinals proved they were a real threat before the Eagles started to run the ball down their throat. It was an embarrassing game plan. The Eagles players, for some reason, are just going through the motions right now. I think they're on a four-game losing streak. So you had bad coaching and, and, and bad effort from the players. So there is that. But when you look at the season of the Cardinals, I'm not using that as some kind of a some kind of reason to excuse away the win and act like it was nothing. No, it wasn't. They attacked Philadelphia every step of the way. And if it wasn't for the pick six, I, I don't know if the game would have been really all that close. Now, the red zone problems were real for the Cardinals, but they seemed to get those fixed as the game went on. And I think as much as I just went over how poorly Kyler handled one play attention to detail-wise, overarching, you've got to be thrilled because – I, I don't think Kyler acted like his normal nut job pouty self from years past after the pick six. And we've been talking for years about his negative body language. 
We've been talking for years about how he brings so many people down on the sidelines, whether it's his mistake or somebody else's mistake. And that doesn't mean you don't go uh, – like Tom Brady always barked at people. I'm not saying you don't challenge guys who screw up. I'm not saying that at all. But Kyler would go into this mopey, it's me versus the world, we're not in this together type of thing in the past. I, I wasn't on the sideline, but I always watched sideline different camera shots. I didn't see any of that from Kyler after the pick six. And that is tremendous growth for him. And to go back to Michael Wilson later in the game, it's pretty impressive how they rebounded from the pick six, Kyler. Yeah, my, my confidence never wavers in any of those guys. You know, um, that was just a simple miscommunication. Uh, it wasn't a, um, you know, physical error. You know, it was just a mental act on, on my part and his part. Um, and, and, you know, for me to, you know, I know it was a booster for him. You know, he was real, he was real excited about it on the sideline after he scored. Uh, just to trust him and show him, the, you know, show him that I, I got him no matter what. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's just who we are. You know, I think it's a good brotherhood uh, and, and just, you know, it's fun. It's fun to go out there and play well with these guys. It's a really good quote. Now, if you want to be Kurt Warner-esque, if you want to be Peyton Man, if you want to be the perfect level, he says, hey, that was just a miscommunication on my part. And, and the quarterback should always take 100% of the blame publicly. Always. Is it true? In the sense of, is it always their fault? No, rarely it is. I just know in detailed conversations I've had with Carson Palmer, had with Kurt Warner, it's really interesting the way they talk about what it means to be a QB1. And talking to other players when they knew something was their fault and the quarterback took the blame for it, what that meant to them as they're fighting for a spot, fighting for their career, fighting for their first Pro Bowl, fighting for a raise, whatever it is. When the quarterback takes the blame, it means a ton to them. I have no problem. I'm just saying the next level for Kyler is not to say a mistake on my part and his part. But let's face it, that's exactly what it was. And I kind of think it was all Michael Wilson. I, I don't really think it was Kyler. I think it was Kyler's fault to throw it to Michael Wilson. Not necessarily where he threw it. I just think looking at the coverage that way, there was no spot he was open. But I'm more interested now in how do you recover from it, how do you handle it. And that was really strong. And then you could feel him in that quote celebrating for Michael Wilson. That's leadership. I mean, the big question about Kyler Murray has always been leadership, and that's an example of where Kyler Murray deserves a ton of credit for uh, for his his leadership. And then the last one was, tell us about JG. Tell us about going to Philadelphia and winning this game for Jonathan Gannon. I mean, in a sense, yeah, it was just another game. But, um, no, nah, it wasn't just another game. You know, I think uh, I know he wanted to win it really badly. Just, uh, you know, not not alma mater, but, you know, previous team. Uh, yeah, no, nah, I, I, I I, wanted, I would want to win it, you know, so I know the guys felt that energy from him and we wanted to come out here um, and do it for him. So That goes back to my previous point that Jonathan Gannon has their attention in, on New Year's uh, on New Year's weekend of, at the time, a three-win season. That tells you something. So Jonathan Gannon, after the game, was asked about 
the win, players playing for him, the standard line that it's just another game, and yet, come on, this had to mean something a lot more to you. Did you feel it? Do you think the players had a little extra oomph to be able to win this game for you? Uh, it's just another. Uh, I, I'm happy for the players, honestly, Jeff. You know, obviously the year has been a tough year. Um, we don't, we didn't do enough to earn the right to play in January. Um, so, you know, I was really proud of them down 21-6 versus a good team. You know, you could lay down there and get beat by 30. Our guys did not do that. So really just happy for the guys, how they responded all week and um, a good win on the road versus a good football team. That, there's, there's everything about postgame. Now I want to move into the Monday after. Today's a deep dive into the Arizona Cardinals, and they deserve it after that uh, fantastic win against Philadelphia. I don't believe in tanking. I know a lot of people are upset. Hey, don't win a game like that. You're trying to fight it out for the lowest draft pick you can get. I believe you establish cultures of losing when you tank. And I do think the front office tanked. I do think they didn't put this team in the best position to win games with the roster construction that they had at the beginning of the season. I totally believe that. But that's different than coaches and players of benching guys, of you know the old line, we're going to play the young guys right now. I'm fine with that in baseball because you got like a month. All right, You already know you're out of the playoffs. You've got a month. We've got to spend that time evaluating the young guys. Or now we're wasting time. And they need that experience as well. We want to see how they handle it and how they come back. Football's an entirely different situation. You're not going to replace all 90 guys on your training camp roster. You're not going to replace your entire 53-man roster. There's going to be some players that are coming back next year. You need to establish your culture not overall, every single day is a culture build. So you can never tank when you're the actual coaches and players. And I, I really respect that it shows that they're not, and it shows how hard the players uh, wanted it. So here is Jonathan Gannon talking about the positives of the offense, like how I described to you the illegal shift. In the second half, there was only one negative play the entire half. Huge. Yeah, no penalties. Stayed ahead of the sticks. No sacks. You know what I mean? So that's what every time you kind of look up, it's whether we're throwing it or running it, second and shorter, second and manageable. He converted some third downs too in there, but it's huge. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, you know, playing offense high level, you want to be able to dictate on your terms, you know, as much as you can during a game. You know they're going to knock you behind the sticks every once in a while, or you know you're going to have to convert third downs or the red zone or whatever that is, but on mixed downs, can you play efficiently enough in the run and pass game with different play types too, you know, quick game. You saw yesterday, quick game, boot, run, shot, you know, all those different types. It's hard to defend, but it's, it's hard to defend if you're executing it. So I thought they just did a really good job it was a good plan um, from the coaching staff. The players obviously executed. I thought they handled the different groups well. And then some of the unknowns with just three games to go off of, I thought they handled the unknowns extremely well. And um, so hats off to the coaches and players. I, I like how he's continually trying to put it on, on other people. And 
explaining what that does for this offense when they don't have the penalties. And that's another area where Kyler gets a lot of credit. You see how I explained the mistake that he made to create the illegal shift penalty. Now look in the second half, that was all cleaned up. That There was the attention to detail. And then suddenly, with those problems cleaned up, the offense really embarrassed the new defensive coordinator and, and system that the Philadelphia Eagles are running versus last year. A philosophical question, Josh Weinfuss, ESPN.com, which is what does a win like this do when it's only when it's you know as late in the year as week 17, penultimate game of the year, but at the same time, can you can you really start building for 2024? I mean, you know, uh, it's 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 funny. I I don't know that, Josh. I you know, I was in there with both staffs today, all three staffs, and it's like, hey, after a loss, this is what we do. After a win, this is what we do. It's not much different, truthfully. So, you know, it's it's about our process and how we go about it and improving. You know what I mean? So, and, and actually, Drew said you could talk to Drew about it tomorrow. It's the best thing in the NFL is when you lose doing that. The worst thing in the NFL is when you win doing that because you don't really you you're not on that. You know what I mean? So, our focus will be, hey, let's learn from what we had against the Philly, and then get to Seattle. And uh, I don't say that like we truly live that because I think that's the way to be. So, um, and I honestly think the players appreciate that. So that's how we do it. Where where he's going there is to me looking at the players did the right things, but we're not going to change. We're going to create this creature a habit. So when we start winning, we're not overreacting to winning. Same way as if we lose, we don't want to be overreacting to losing. What do we do wrong? Get it fixed. Incorporate more of what we did right. Get ready for next week. And if you keep that process, as good teams do, you can become a good team if you have good coaches and you have good players. Yet, I, I do believe this means something. I, I do believe it shows Kyler. If you pay attention, stick to the details, and he was a lot more aggressive in the run game personally in the second half, we can win some games. Drew Petzing, if you stick with James Conner and quit screwing around with all your cutesy little things, then we can beat some teams. That That's the lesson. And then everybody involved. Yes, Philadelphia had some issues, but who cares? We've had more issues than they do. And we did what we were supposed to do in practice. It led to a win in the game. Now what can you do against Seattle? Can you build on it? And if you can't, then we're all getting a little flowery, you know, for absolutely no reason. Um, again, back to the pick six, Michael Wilson, what were you doing? Michael Wilson now clutch touchdown. What did you think about Michael Wilson's performance and bouncing back after the pick six? Yeah, he's got good resilience. Yeah, he's got good resilience. I mean, that fourth and goal, got to have it, I would call it. That was a huge play. You know, he won. They brought a zero pressure. Kyler backpelled out of there and threw it to him. But uh, he made some big-time plays, you know what I mean? And Mike's going to be a big-time player for us. So it was good to see him. I mean, all the receivers, Dorch, you know, Rondell had some touches, you know, tight ends, the backs. You know, Kyler distributed. starts with the O-line like we talked about because he was upright. Kyler put the ball where it should go. And um, that's why it looked really good yesterday.
I think there's a lot to talk about there, not only with what he said about Michael Wilson, which was impressive, but Dorch. I- I'm noticing Kyler hesitating less when going to Greg Dorch. Now, I'm pretty hard on Kyler. This is an area where I, w- I really want to be, I don't want to say soft on Kyler, but I really want to be understanding on Kyler for what I was told a lot last year and things I noticed at the beginning of the year. There's a lot of times Dorch is in the wrong place. And it, sometimes it's close, but not quite accurate. And you can then, any quarterback doesn't want to throw a pick. And if they don't fully 100% trust, you're going to be where you're supposed to be. There's that little bit of hesitation. He comes out of, you wait until he comes out of the break. Is he going to the right place? Yes, he is. Sometimes that's too late. If you're checking to see, are you going to the right place? Sometimes that's too late. Then they're not open when they get there. You needed to throw the ball as he was coming out of his break. So the ball is there before the corner or safety is. And then if you're worried he's going to the wrong place and you've thrown it to the right place and he's not there, boy, that's a definite interception or at the very least an incompletion. And I think that is really huge. So this is a compliment to Greg Dortch, not a compliment or an insult to Kyler. It's an understanding of why Kyler would be hesitant. And that's kind of a game-changing moment because Greg Dortch is clearly an NFL receiver talent-wise. In the past, he has not shown he's an NFL receiver football IQ-wise. And if he's starting to get it, that's that's a legit not, – not a building piece. It's not like you're going to jump up and down and say, we've got Greg Dortch, nobody else does, we're going to the Super Bowl. But when you talk about a Super Bowl-caliber team, and that's really what we're talking about, when are you going to be a Super Bowl-caliber team? I think Greg Dortch is a good enough football player to be a contributor to a Super Bowl team. When I'm talking about five, six wide receivers, let's say, if you think of who is a team you really respect and you think of that team's a Super Bowl team, I think Greg Dortch could possibly make that team if he's doing the right things. Talent-wise, I think he would be as good or maybe better than at least one of the six receivers on whatever team you're thinking of but not if he's not in the right place every single time. So that that's a big thing to keep an eye on for this game and then specifically going into next year. I, I think that's a really, really important. Okay, the next one from JG is, uh, is just one of those standard questions that you get every now and then about Buddha. Uh, who is Buddha to you? What, what is it that makes Buddha a special player and makes Buddha special as a leader? As a player, uh, two different, I, I would say, questions there. Um, as a player, his versatility um, and his reliability and his toughness and his effort and his brain. So I just gave you about five. Um, as a leader, I think his attitude. Um, the guy comes to work, he never has a bad day, comes to work always wanting to improve and get better. And I would say the sign of a really good player for you is he elevates others around him, which is since he's been here, since we've been here with him, that's what he's done. Um, and not just the safeties or the back end, I'm talking about the linebackers and the D-line and the coaches. You know, So that's a valuable piece to have. 
I don't want to go too deep because my wife doesn't like it. She, she asked me kind of keep some things quiet here. But there was a, there's been a change at my wife's office. And for most people, that would be kind of a hairy situation. What's about to happen here? And she has repeatedly been told, you have nothing to worry about. People are going to fight to work with you because you have such a great attitude and you are so happy to do things and you're so happy you make this a better place. What a wonderful thing to say. And you hear that about Buddha. Do, do people say that about you? It's a great question. Does everybody get ready to argue with you or does everybody feel like, wow, you bring happiness to this place. You're really a good dude. There's a way that you can challenge people without being Mr. Negative. Can you do that? I know in my life I have been here and I have been here. There have been places that you would talk to where you would say, Doug Franz is the dream employee. We're really glad we had him. And there's other people that you would talk to that would say, man, was I glad when Doug left. <laughs> and, and I get it. And I, and I got to be better. But I'm, I'm just listening to that comment about Buddha and listen to how strong that was. That's something. It's still the year of you. But part of you is getting being a better you. And why not be that guy at your workplace? Just because somebody else can't do the job shouldn't affect whether you have a good attitude about you doing the job. Uh, this goes back to the previous question that was in the postgame show. Asking again, JG, did you feel like there was extra oomph in this game that the team was providing to win this game for you? A little extra oomph. I would, I would, I would say it like uh, everyone in that locker room had a little extra oomph for James going to Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? So you know, when you're in the league long enough, you know, I, I, I do think there's some times that, you know, certain guys, you know, I don't, you know, it means maybe a little bit more to them. You know what I mean? But um, the players know. Like that's, it's not about me. It's about them, and they knew that. They they wanted to go. I think James said it. You know, we wanted to make a trip, go to a, a playoff team fighting to be the one seed in our conference, and we wanted to go. You know, swing our swing our shot. So um, that's what we did, and they played well and got it done. I like that because he didn't act like it didn't exist. But at the same time, was still strong in recognizing that it doesn't change anything. We still had to go out and get the job done. All right, last one, because I, I went on a long conversation about the one lack of attention to detail for Kyler. But for the most part, this is probably the most complimentary day I've had in a year and a half on Kyler as well. Coach, what do you see from Kyler Murray right now? Boy, that take me too long. Um, I think um, you know everything that you want out of a quarterback: command, um, competitiveness. Uh, then when you talk about the skill set, uh, accuracy, decision making, arm talent. Then you go when that doesn't happen, ability to extend plays. Um, and he sees the game; he's never sped up. So he sees it, you know, extremely fast, extremely quick. He's not sped up. And and honestly, I think that it will improve as we move forward because he's eight weeks into a system. So I think sky's the limit. That is one of the strongest compliments he's received. I haven't backed down on my opinion. 
I'm ready for somebody else to take over in 2024. But when you combine compliments like that, which granted could be a front, he could just be saying that in order to hype up trade value. But when you look at the salary cap hit and comments like that, even though I know what I think should happen, I think what will happen is Kyler Murray is the 2024 starting quarterback. All right, coming up next, find out what happened in the life of Steve McCollum over the weekend for New Year's and his thoughts on whether or not we all got robbed of Florida State wasn't in it. Let's talk a little college football with Steve McCollum in the main event up next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Burrito Express started with my father about 25 years ago. He got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old. And I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now it's big it's juicy it's meaty get your burrito at burrito express if you're having a hangover a bad day even a good day still get your burrito at burrito express it will make you feel better Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Rowan Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Every weekday morning, it's from 6 to 8 here on WTSMTV.com. Isaiah Jackson comes up with iOS from uh, 10 until noon, and right in the middle is the main event. Steve McCollum and Dale Hellestray. And very interesting story on Monday, it was yesterday. Steve McCollum sent me a text right after Liberty marched down the field and <laughs> yeah, scored yeah. in two and a half minutes and saying, see, Liberty, I told you, Liberty's going to crush them. And uh, it, it didn't happen. No, yeah. he did not send that no. text. Were you were you ever worried for the Ducks? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, I, I actually was like, man, I'm going to go to this game because there's going to be nobody there. And boy, was I right. Uh, that was... <laughs> That was as empty as uh, Cardinals playing a meaningless preseason game. It was, uh, this is the problem with college football, uh, and the 12-game playoff is not going to solve this problem. It's going to let more crappy teams in. It's a joke. It was an absolute joke this year. That's why the the bowl games earlier in the season that people throw throw a fit about, right? The SMU get bowls, you know, all of that stuff. That's why those are so much fun to watch is because those kids care still. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Florida State, um, you know, you're a joke. You're an absolute joke. It uh, was... Mike Norvell, your team is a joke. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. I mean, if you're talking about Florida State, I don't know what you expect when they have the third string quarter. I think I have this right. Third string yes. quarterback, third string running back. Never played before. Your number one <laughs> wide receiver was your third string wide receiver. <laughs> and out of your front seven yeah. on defense – Five of them yeah. were not playing. And, and they don't have the depth like Georgia does. Georgia right, had a lot of right. guys sitting out, too. The problem is second and third string Georgia kids can start almost anywhere else in the country. Right, right, uh, right. And they're trying to earn spots for next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Florida State, I just feel like we're just like we don't care anymore. And that, you know, look, I get kids are going to opt out. I'm not knocking them for that. 
Uh, but that, to me, comes down to the coaching staff. When you sent the message you sent by not being in that tournament, you basically said, and I'm talking about that coach, you basically said, we don't want to play in this game. Everybody just do what you want to do, and we're not going to coach it right. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible message to send to those second and third stringers that you're hoping will be starters yeah, next year. Yeah. It, it's a failure by Florida State's leadership, 1,000% in that ball. Now, they're going to get destroyed regardless, but it was a terrible, terrible message by them. You won't know Thank this. You. <laughs> I, I, I liked it. You won't know this because you were supporting the uh, Phoenix economy. But I have to tell you how funny this was. When I'm watching the Fiesta Bowl yesterday, I don't know who was in charge of this, but the crowd mics yes. were unbelievably high. Yeah. I mean, they were turned up so loud. So when Liberty is marching down the field, seriously, it sounded like yeah. the loudest sporting event I have ever been to yeah. was Sun Spurs. Close to that <laughs> was a Cardinals-Eagles in the NFC yes. Championship game. It sounded like that yeah. on television. And I was like, wow, what is yeah. going on? Yeah. And then about midway through the first quarter, somebody adjusted it. Yes. And then it was like, oh, it's it's not loud. It, um. <laughs> Well, my favorite was when they were kicking extra points, Oregon, uh, the 700 extra points that they kicked. Uh, just nobody in the end zone. But, yeah, no, you put those mics uh, right where the fan bases are, right? So it's Liberty crazy. had a small faction of diehard students there. You put those mics right there. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Oregon's fan base can be loud and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, it's just it's a joke for New Year's Bowl games to several of them, right? Iowa, Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, it was a joke. Of a, now, thank God the two college football games turned out to be fantastic. Right, right, Thank right, God, right. because usually one of those is a huge blowout. Right. Uh, and uh, so at least those turned out good, because otherwise we'd be talking about a monumental waste of time watching college football yeah. yesterday. It's a major problem for college football yeah. right now, because so, yeah. if you're going to have the transfer portal open at the end of the season – then everybody's going to go. You already have the trend started by Christian McCaffrey to not play in a bowl game to get yourself ready for the draft if you're in that category or you're transferring – then the the only thing that this bowl this bowl means to, uh, something to two groups of people, and that's either gamblers, or it means something even, to the third string parents. You can't even gamble on these games, man. I didn't gamble on any of these yeah. games after last Tuesday in bowl games, and you, it's evident by my picks. They're god awful because you know LSU was down to Wisconsin yesterday yeah. for most of the game. What Wisconsin shouldn't even have been allowed off the plane against LSU You're in right. terms of talent. Right. Right. Uh, and you can't gamble on this stuff uh, in the 12 game playoff. You mean to tell me that let's say uh, let's say you're LSU and you make it into the 12 game. You mean to tell me you're not going to have opt outs in that situation mm-hmm. because you know you're going to get knocked out in round two. Why am I going to go play two three extra games and get hurt knowing you're not going to have a chance to win a championship? You're still going to opt out. You're still not going to play in these games, and it's going to make it even more blowouts uh, in these situations. And the in yep. the power five schools need to just uh, quite frankly. We just need to go F off. We don't need you <laughs> in bowl games. Go play in your lower tier games, bowl games where it'll be more exciting. Uh, we'd appreciate it. The uh, You mentioned <laughs> the games, the, the two big college football games. For, for 400 years to me, it's always been – the speed of an SEC defensive line. You mm-hmm. just don't have 290, 310-pound human beings that move like that, and yeah. almost every conference thinks they're going to compete with the SEC team. Of course, there's been anomalies, but they don't because they just can't handle yeah. the defensive line. Well, it's speed and size, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It was jarring to me. And even though I kind of knew 
it was still jarring that Michigan's defensive front seven was light years ahead of Alabama's. Well, that's weird. The problem with Alabama is, if you don't know this, they, they have at least they have one true freshman on the uh, outside by himself, and then they have another. He's either a freshman or a sophomore yep, yep. on the other side, and uh, they they were liabilities. And then their center can't snap a ball. I mean, my long snapping <laughs> best friend just sat down next to me, so I got to be careful what I say here. But dear God, get a snap off, my man! It's been that way all year. For hey, Alabama. centers are people too. <laughs> he's wearing his long snappers. Uh, you can if you can read this. You're a long snapper, and it's all upside down shirt today. Uh, but so we got to be careful what we say now, so I can uh, live to live through eight to ten today. But um, he's going to agree with you. Yeah, though, you but know that's that. the issue. I mean, Alabama. Look, they were down this year, and look how good they are when they're down. That's true. Great and point. And that's the thing. But Michigan's defense. Uh, that that was that's their strength. Uh, you saw that their offense is too gimmicky in my eyes, but their defense is a strength, and you saw it. You saw it this weekend. Uh, you, and, and by the way, Longhorns. Uh, thank God you're out. See ya. You don't belong there. You don't belong. <laughs> Why there. are you anti? They don't belong there. That was okay. a joke that they were in there. They don't belong. Get out of here. Were you? Were you more Georgia should be in? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that uh, opinion yeah, at all. Texas did not belong in that in that four game. T- I mean, they 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 survived. Look, Pac-12 after dark. You do not play a Pac-12 team after midnight, folks. It is it is crazy. <laughs> the best year the Pac-12 has had in 20 years is yeah. the last year yeah, of, it's not, it's of not, the Pac-12. Yeah, isn't that the perfect? Good job, Dr. Crow and uh, leadership board totally of the Pac-12. Totally agree. Uh, what's coming up on the main event? Uh, lots of football, obviously, uh, there. And um, you look, we have uh, we're going to make fun of the movie Baywatch. Uh, one oh. of the one of the stars of Baywatch made fun of it over the weekend. Yesterday, as a matter of fact. Uh, so we're going to make fun of that. Dale might walk off the program when we do that, by the way. But uh, it'd be fantastic. Uh, hey, uh, really quick. I know we only have 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, but you saw what I was talking about with Suns ball rotation. Yes. And all yeah. that. And they, they've been doing it every, even last night with KD out. They still were doing the ball rotation. Yeah, they better. just woke up one day. Hey. Look better. Again. Six hours of local sports programming only on WTSMTV.com every weekday morning. That is Steve McCollum, Dale Hellestray coming up, Super Bowl champion. Dale, where, 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 why weren't you at the game uh, last Monday for uh, the Jimmy Johnson? Oh. That should be a topic today, Steve. The uh, versus Vegas, I, I got to tell you. I went four, I played four games last weekend, Friday. I went two and two and mostly had, I did not break even. I, I lost I, I, like a quarter of a unit. So it wasn't much of anything. But what really makes me mad is my two and two. I got the two games right that I said, I got to stick with my system. This is what I think happens. And it did. And the two games I felt great about, I got them both wrong. I took Toronto plus the eight at Boston. Boston was on the back end of a back-to-back, and Toronto was kind of embarrassed. I I felt like they'd play really hard, and I was getting eight points, so I took Toronto plus the eight. But I was still nervous. Toronto only lost by two in Boston. So I started off my weekend feeling good. I had the Clippers minus seven and a half against Memphis. Little nervous about that. Clippers won 117 to 106. 
I clear it by three points. I'm feeling good now. I'm 2-0 and with the games I wasn't sure about. Then I go into Sun Charlotte late Friday night. It's I got Suns minus 15 and a half. The bench allows 30 fourth quarter points. 30. Suns win 113 to 119, but they won by 14 points with a 15 and a half point spread. Come on. And then you know the last one. I thought the Eagles were going to kill the Cardinals. Three-game losing streak. Come on. There's no way. And then when the Eagles had the pick six and they have the dominating halftime lead, I'm thinking I'm 3-0. Like, I knew I was 3-0. And the Eagles didn't cover because they didn't win. Eagles minus 12 ends up being Cardinals minus 4. 35-31 Cardinals win. So I butcher that one. That's frustrating. So I go two and two on the day. I got three games for you today. Oh, by the way, I'm 1065, 973, and eight overall. I got to watch something, though. I said before the season, I have one game that I haven't accounted for on my record, or one pick. I said Suns, excuse me, Cardinals, minus the four and a half. Cardinals minus the four and a half wins. They're at four. One game left. First of all, good job, Vegas. No matter what happens, good job, Vegas, on where you put the Cardinals. I thought this was a no-brainer. I thought this was the easiest, no, not the easiest pick. Last year's pick, minus seven and a half wins, was the easiest pick of the Arizona Cardinals. This one, I thought was almost as easy. And now I'm sitting here nail-biting to get this game right. And I thought it was going to be less than that. Originally, it was Cardinals minus three and a half, and they bumped it up later in the year when it looked like Kyler was going to come back a little bit sooner than some people had said. So I got to have a – I'm sorry, Cardinals fans. Got to have a Cardinals loss this week. Uh, I'm going to go against Charlotte again, minus 15 and a half. Charlotte's on the back end of a back-to-back. Sacramento's focused. I'm going to take the Kings, but again, I'm laying that many points. I didn't learn my lesson. Kings minus the 15 and a half. And I got two games in hockey for you today. I got Boston covering the puck line against the Blue Jackets. Boston's in first place, and they've had some time off. They're ready. So I'll take Boston uh, covering the one and a half. And then one that's a little bit off, the Islanders are a good team. But the Avalanche, after embarrassing themselves being up 4-0 on the Coyotes and losing, and they have had their last game was at home, and they've had four days rest, while the Islanders are on a road trip, and they've got less rest and just came from Pittsburgh. I like the Lanch minus the one and a half. I'll take Colorado covering the puck line against the Islanders. So I have all favorites, two home favorites, Sacramento Kings, Colorado Avalanche, one road favorite. I'm taking the Boston Bruins everybody to cover. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Uh, got a lot going on this week. I'm jacked up for so many different things. Thanks for being a member of the Unplugged Army, but I gotta tell you, let's start thinking about the sponsors and figuring out 
How are you going to work them into your world in the new year? Next time you're playing golf, are you at least checking whirlwind.com to see what's available for you to be able to book a tee time? At the same time, have you gone to unpluggedwhirlwind.com to inquire about the Whirlwind Plus plan? If you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas, now is the time to buy yourself something because it's the year of you. So become thank you, Jeff Weir Production. Go to unpluggedwhirlwind.com. Just hit sign up today and figure out the pricing that's best for you. $34 a month, cancel any time, or $2.99 for the year. And now you're a member of Whirlwind Golf Club. What a savings. The savings will pay for itself in about two or three outings if you do the yearly. Think about that. That's all the thing. You golf three times during the year, and you're probably going to pay it back. I'll give you more details if you want to tweet me, or if you want to get a beer sometime, I'll talk to you about it at Civlic. It makes a lot of sense. 100 Mile Brewing Company, they're the sponsors of Beer Friday. They're located in Tempe, right where Rural Road, Scottsdale Road, and the 202 all come together. Turn into the Macayos and just keep going back. Best burrito you're ever going to have is the breakfast burrito at Burrito Express. Seven locations on the east side. I also, for lunch, love the steak and salsa uh, burrito. The original sponsor of Doug Franz Unplugged is Bell's National Kitchen. They're located in Scottsdale, just a hair east of uh, Scottsdale Road on Main Street. Best sandwich in all of the state is the Bell's Nashville Chicken Hot Chicken Sandwich and Parker & Sons 6022 Repair for any of the issues that you might have with your heating, cooling, plumbing, and electrical. Thanks a lot for being a part of the Unplugged Army. The main event's up next. I'll see you tomorrow.